Hey, good morning. I'm actually reading an article that I wrote. I'm very proud to be a member of the print media. I could join some jackasses that uh, we don't read anymore, but you'll read me. Go to outkick.com and you can read my article. And the article is entitled, College Sports Free Agency is Kind of Here, and Dan Dockich loves it. I do. I absolutely love the fact that we have college sports free agency. Why, you ask? Oh, man. For years and years and years, college sports, particularly basketball, has tried to keep itself relevant in the offseason. We have seen things like John Calipari and his Kentucky Wildcats go to the Bahamas to play bad foreign teams, and we put it on ESPN. We put it on uh, SEC Network. Cal and I have talked for years about the need to have something going on in August for college basketball, because let's be honest, the landscape of summer when it comes to basketball is dominated by the NBA. In my article, I tell you, look, here's the deal. The NBA uh, with free agency, where you give bad players with overinflated numbers, unbelievable contracts to the point where NFL players are asking their players union, why in the hell aren't we getting this? Why aren't we getting a little piece of this? Well, then you have the summer league, which literally, and I'm being literal here, means nothing to anybody other than it does line the pockets of a lot of people. So, hey, the NBA decided we're taking over the summer, but wait a second. Hang on, caller. College basketball, college football, they are back in business in the summertime. Why? Free agency. I mean, let's just think about it. You know who Jordan Addison is? Of course you don't know who Jordan Addison is unless you're an ardent football, college football fan. Jordan Addison's a wide receiver. Jordan Addison was the Blitkoff Award a winner, which, by the way, goes to the best wide receiver in the country. But his offensive coordinator, his quarterback coach, and his quarterback are all gone. Gone. Adios. Gone from the University of Pittsburgh. Well, what happens? Well... Jordan Addison apparently, somehow, someway, not sure how, but gets a, a supposed $3 million a year deal. It's only going to be one year, and then he'll be off to the NBA. But Jordan Addison supposedly is going to go to USC, or at least has been offered by USC, and that choir boy that is Lincoln Riley, $3 million in the house. I love it. I don't kind of like it. I love it. I love watching coaches grovel. I love it. I don't like it. I love it. I just saw John Lynch groveling to Debo Samuel. I love the fact that a player is going to say, hey, man, I'm going to go to USC. And then what you'll see is you'll see a long post on his social media about his love for Panther Nation. Now, who knows whether all this is going to happen, but I do know this. Jordan Addison is in the transfer portal. And, of course, his people are covering up, saying, well, he may go to Alabama, he may go to LSU, he may go to Florida, and he may go to USC. Of course we're doing that. But you tell me, you're a wide receiver. You're apparently all about that money, yo. And you want to go play somewhere other than your school. Where are you going to go? I ain't going to Alabama. Hell, Bryce Young getting all the money there. Uh, I ain't going to LSU. They got a new coach. Don't even know who the quarterback is. I am going to play with Caleb Williams in Los Angeles, 
and I am going to live that lifestyle. I'm going to be like uh, Marky Mark and his brothers, right? That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be entourage. So I love it. Basketball, we've already seen it, man. It's nuts. Guys are getting money. We got a guy in Indiana, hasn't won in the Big Ten yet, but he's got a deal with Pennzoil. Supposedly $200,000, $300,000. I love it. I love watching coaches grovel. Let me go back to football for a second. I've always said this. For <laughs> Basketball is dirty business, all right? But at least for some reason, there's honor among thieves. And I don't understand it. Bear with me. If a kid commits to you in basketball as a junior, or it used to be, maybe it's different now, but nine out of ten times, other schools leave the kid alone. Don't know why. No clue, no idea. But that's what happened. In football, the great Urban Meyer and I were sitting in his backyard when he was a coach at Bowling Green and I was a coach at Bowling Green. He was football, I was basketball. And I had two commitments that I had strategically put in the paper. Thus, others would leave him alone. Well, Urban goes, why are you doing that? And I explained to him, he goes, oh, man. In football, at Bowling Green, if I put two commitments in there, all it means is that Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame are going to start peeking in on the kid. Make sure he's not good enough for them. They'll start recruiting him then. It's different. But my thing with football coaches has always been this. I absolutely love it. Football coaches get in their suits and ties on game week. It's game week. They always invoke the military and God and honor and dignity and respect. Let me tell you something. You come here and play for me, you're going to end up a man, son. All the while, they're sneaking around trying to convince 17, 16, 15-year-olds to change their commitment. Doesn't seem very honorable to me, and I've always made fun of them. Every football coach that I ever work with, I always make fun of them when they wear their suit and tie and go, we're all about honor integrity. Haram, haram, haram. Red rum, red rum. Yeah, my backside. It's phony as a $3 bill, and I love it. At least now the phoniness is out there. At least now it's legit. Hey, kids going to LSU. Wait a second. Alabama, get in here with an offer. And the kids in college football are the worst. I mean the worst. Hey, I'm committed to you, but it's a, quote, soft commitment. Yeah? I remember doing that to Bobby Knight. I committed, but I wanted to take a visit. His response, hey, Dan, you go take your visit, but there won't be a scholarship when you get back. Uh, Hey, coach, hang on a second. Norm Sloan at Florida, yeah, I won't be visiting. These kids are full of crap. Their mommies, their daddies are full of crap. Everybody in the whole football realm is full of crap. Basketball is just now catching up to the full of crapness. And I love it. At least it's out there. At least it's real. At least it gives us something to talk about. We wouldn't even talk about college basketball. We wouldn't know Nigel Pack from uh, whatever the guy's name is, Nigel something that sang with... Elton John, I don't have a good Nigel. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, now a 5'9 point guard who got his last coach fired uh, gets a a raise, I guess, $400,000 and a car for Nigel Pack. I'm all in on it. 
All because some jock-sniffing billionaire decided he wants to make Miami great again. Good for him. Let's go. A couple young ladies from Fresno State that led their team to 11 and 18, but hey, they dribble in tube tops. That's all. That's it. I mean, whenever I looked at the Cavender twins, I said, who are these people that are getting this money? They're all scantily closed dribbling a basketball. <laughs> hey, they got a monster deal. Yeah, they did. They got a monster deal, baby, to go to Miami. 11 and 18. I love it. Now we're going to see what's going to happen. I hope everything goes right. You know what happens to lottery winners, right? I say it all the time. How much broke and depression are there among lottery winners? I don't know, and I'm not going to lie to you. It ain't my job no more. Ain't my job. I am all in on the transfer portal. Hey, man, coach yelled at you? You got to go. <laughs> what? We don't have Rice Krispies at training table? You got to go. What? That's literally, and I'm being literal here, that's literally the level of college basketball players. We had a kid named Lawrence Funderburg. He wasn't going to come to Indiana unless we got him Fruity Pebbles. That's right. Hey, Lawrence, you want to eat steak? I know, man. Uh, I, I only go places that have Fruity Pebbles. Okay, Lawrence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't like the transfer portal. I love the transfer portal. And let me show you a little something, something, a little something nice. Uh, it's an article that I wrote. Hey, look. I want to be like I want to be like all the lying dirtbags that you read every day. I want to join them. My article is up. It's written exactly like I talk. So don't at me, people. That's right. I don't know if you can even see it. That's right. Go to Outkick.com. I love the transfer port because we're going to be talking about it. Let's be honest. In Indianapolis, we don't have baseball. What do we talk about all summer? Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Bobby Knight shouldn't have been fired. There you go. I love it. Uh, Jim Deshays is an announcer for the Cubs. And the Cubs broadcast is pretty good, mostly because I love my man, Boog Shambi. But Jim Deshays was talking yesterday about a pitcher named Michael Kopech. Now, Michael Kopech is really good. Like, he's been hurt. He, you know, he's kind of, I don't know. He pitched four innings, and he acted like he climbed a hill and took a mountain in the war. You know what I mean? I mean, he's one of those guys, but that's all right. Throws it about 97. And Jim Deshays, and it just hit me, and I thought it was funny. You may not think it's funny, but I thought it was funny. Jim Deshays, in the open of the Cubs-White Sox game yesterday, he goes, yeah, and he throws 98 with a man bun. I loved it. I'm sorry. 98 with a man bun. Now, I, I looked around my house like, can he say that? Because we know, you know, all of you out there are waiting for every word. Every word. We must be careful with every word or else I'm going to be offended. I'm, I'm imagining the man bun community uh, probably got offended. And if the man bun community got offended, I ain't sorry. Tough. You'll be all right. I promise you'll be all right, man bun community. But the man bun community yesterday, I just started laughing. I, I don't know why it hit me. I don't know why it's on our show. I just thought it was funny as hazel. 
right, NBA playoffs. What does Clay Travis, our leader, say? Get woke, go broke. Really? I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the NBA, they kind of stopped all their wokeness. They stopped all the messages on the baselines. They stopped all of the stuff that was, you know what? Costing them money. Because let's be honest, whether you agree with something, disagree with something, doesn't even matter what the something is. Obviously, the Roe versus Wade, and we'll get into that with Allison Williams, is a big topic now. Whether you agree or you don't agree, doesn't matter. When you turn a game on, guess what you want to watch? You want to watch the damn game. I'm not turning on the Warriors to hear about anybody, and I mean anybody's social warrior justice thoughts. I'm not turning it on even a little bit. The phoniest thing in this vein is when the NFL conducts itself like it's the military. Good for the NFL. I mean, could you be less militaristic than what the NFL is? But I digress. So the NFL got, or the NBA got rid of all of this stuff that reminded you as you watched the game of all of the stuff going on in our society that makes most people uncomfortable. Now, me personally, I'm very comfortable with it. But anyway, so they got rid of all of it. I don't know if you even noticed. They didn't make a big announcement. Of course not. They only make big announcements when they're appeasing. When America's worst yet most woke commissioner is appeasing somebody. So what happened? You don't have LeBron James in there acting like a little batch. He's not in the playoffs, although everybody tells me stars were what makes the NBA. I think uh, the, I think in many ways, LeBron James has been an anchor around the NBA with his idiocy politically. Actually, not his idiocy, uh, with his hypocritical views politically, but I digress. So now you've got new stars. Now you've got the Boston Celtics with a couple guys that can really go, but the star of stars is John Moran. And John Moran, who dropped 47 last night, I'll get to that in a minute, has become must-see TV. Of course, the Warriors are must-see TV. But what does all this mean? Well, this means, see that little girl? That was me. Uh, hey, Dan, change the channel. Hey, Dan, go up and change the wire. Hey, Dan, give me some popcorn. Love my parents, though. NBA ratings are up 12% from last year. NBA ratings are up 66% from two years ago. Get woke, go broke. It's that simple. I mean, look, if you want to learn about politics or you want to see uh, Dave or uh, what's his name, Adam Silver, tell you how you're supposed to think, wait for the commercials. Commercials will tell you. <laughs> I really haven't watched the commercials in the NBA this year, so I don't know if every time I watch an NBA game, I'm inundated with social justice stuff. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I don't know. I really haven't paid attention. I'm not sure why. I've been watching the games. But I don't know. Maybe that means I haven't been inundated. I don't know. But I do know this. No LeBron. All of a sudden, you've got different faces in the NBA. And all of a sudden, oh, by the way, NBA ratings are way up. What a shock. When you got guys like LeBron that are incredibly unlikable. I mean, I'm sorry, he's a great guy. Like, you've never seen LeBron screw up, even though he has privately, and um, there are pictures. But anyway, uh, 
he hasn't screwed up. He seems like a decent guy publicly. He's got a very carefully, uh, but kind of dumb, not dumb, what's the right way to put it? His social media, like Michael Jordan understood everything about being inclusive, social media-wise or everything-wise. And, and Michael was before social media. LeBron thinks he's being inclusive, but doesn't understand that he's not. And that's a hard thing for me to explain, although I am a genius on all things. But anyway, without LeBron or L.A. or New York, NBA's doing great. See, I've always said this. I've always said that the Knicks are the most overrated franchise ever. Like, there isn't anybody from the Knicks in the last half century that is even remotely on the national landscape of endorsements. Same with the Giants. I guess you could say Eli Manning now. There's nobody in New York. Mets, Yankees, I don't know. I guess they force Aaron Judge on us. Yankees are doing great. But the truth of the matter is not one person, including Patrick Ewing back in the day, was even remotely close to what a Peyton Manning was here in Indianapolis or what a John Morant's going to be in Memphis. I, it is amazing, really. The New York Knicks, the, the uh, Los Angeles Lakers, eh. We always think you got to have big markets. No, you don't. We're proving it this year. But we're also proving it because, man, when you turn an NBA guy, let's just watch the damn game. Celtics and Bucks last night. I thought they did a good job on the broadcast explaining why when you make threes against the Bucs, you got a chance. The Bucs under Budenholzer play a defense where they're kind of off you. They're in the gaps. Uh, in college, it's called a pack line defense where they make you make jump shots. But you see last night, the game was decided on the third line down in this graphic. The game was decided by who made threes. Three point. 20 of 43, there's your ball game. 3 of 18, there's your ball game. It's literally that simple. When you take 80 shots and 43 of them are threes and you make 46.5%, there's your ball game. And here's the other thing I liked. You know, in sports, we talk about all the time, you got to come out and you got to kick them in the face. You got to punch them in the mouth. And rarely does that happen because, really, both teams are trying. But I'll tell you this, man, Jalen Brown with 20 or 24 in the first, I don't even know how many minutes, he came out and punched them right in the face. And it got sexy-ish, but not really. Like, it's a rare NBA game. You kept waiting on it, right? Ah, this will get to eight. Ah, this will get to six. Man, it was a rare NBA game last night that never got to eight. That never got to six. In fact, I was dumb enough early to take, uh, I, <laughs> I took the Bucks plus eight and a half. So I was rooting for it to get to eight. Just get to eight. Lose by eight. I'm cool. Never happened. And really, it didn't even come close. There was a little bit of a run. The Greek freak went off in the third quarter, but credit the Celtics, man. And if you watched the game last night, for the most part, that ball was humming. That ball was moving. And, of course, you always look better when shots go in, and that's what the Celtics did. But the truth of the matter is they came out and bam, 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 bam. And that was it. Greek freak, nice game. Uh, Brown ended up with 30. 
Tatum ended up with 29, but let me go through the numbers with you. So Jalen Brown ends up with 30. He made 6 of 10 from the three-point line. Tatum ends up with 29. He made 5 of 10, and maybe the star of the game was Grant Williams. Grant Williams, the kid out of Tennessee, that dude got in a stance. He guarded bigger. He was strong. He was tough. He was annoying. He was physical. And, oh, by the way, on the other end, Grant Williams had 21, 6 of 9 from three. I mean, look, let's be honest. You get 6 of 10, 5 of 10, and 6 of 9 from three different guys, I, I would argue, I don't know, 90% of the time, you're going to win the ball game. That's the way it looks like to me. So now you got to do it again. But, man, that was a terrific, terrific night last night. And I got to give the freaking Celtics great credit. Remember, Marcus Smart was out. Marcus Smart's the defensive player of the year. Do you know how good defensively you have to be to be the defensive player of the year in the NBA? I don't know. Maybe it's a lesson to the Celtics. Maybe Marcus Smart jumbles up the offense. I don't know. If you're Marcus Smart, we'll see what happens in game three, whether he plays or not. But that's an interesting deal, man. Very, very, man. As was it Sergeant Schultz used to say? Or was it Colonel Klink? Very interesting. Very, very interesting. I'm starting to look like Colonel Clink. If you don't know who he is, look him up. It ain't a good thing. Uh, Warriors and the Grizz. Now, I'm going to go off for a minute here on the greatness of John Morant. John Morant, for whatever the reason, you're just drawn to him. I ain't sure why. I mean, first off, our heads couldn't look any more opposite. Like, he's got all this, I got this. But John Morant is one of those guys where you go, man, is Morant on tonight? I want to watch him play. He's got a style about him, a swag about him. He's got a kind of an odd toughness about him. He's, I don't... I don't want to say this. In fact, in my notes, it said, eh. That's what it said, eh. But he's about the closest thing that I've seen combining talent, exuberance, personality to Magic Johnson that I've seen. Like, the closest player to Magic Johnson that I've seen is LeBron James. Like, people always compare... LeBron James to Michael Jordan and all that. I think the most comp- the best comparison, I think personally, is um, LeBron James. I just went Joe Biden right there. I was looking at something down here. Anyway, long story short, Morant's the guy. Look at what Morant did last night. You ready for this? Now this is against the Warriors. This is after, and this is what I liked about it. This is after the last two possessions of the game. Morant got a shot blocked, and in his word, missed a layup. He normally misses, but he's full of crap. He ain't making that layup one out of ten times. So after a loss, Morant comes back with 47. 15 of 31, 5 of 12, 12 of 13. They win the game. Now here's the deal with Morant. Compare that with James Harden. James Harden, full of crap, always has been full of crap. Michael Grady, my friend, who covers the, uh, the uh, Nets with the Yes Network or whatever that network is, gave a great 
soliloquy on my radio show in India about how Harden wants none of it. When it gets tough, Harden's a whiner, a bitcher, a moaner. Well, Moran is not. You can see the tail of the tape here, but the guy on the left dictated policy yesterday. 20 of 21 free throws, and actually Morant was the one guy that missed. He was 12 of 13. You don't even need to look at rebounding numbers in the NBA, and most times you don't even need to look at assist numbers because it's such a dribble-oriented league. What you need to look at is three-point numbers. I'm telling you. when you, <laughs> I can tell you how a game goes. You can get rid of all this stuff, and I can tell you how a game went by just looking at the three-point numbers. I mean, 14 makes as opposed to seven. There you go. There's your ball game. It's that simple. Used to be, you got to rebound. We got to get to the foul line. Remember, every announcer thinks they're being really smart by saying, well, that team makes more free throws than the other team shoots. That's like a big deal. That ain't a big deal. In the NBA, in these NBA playoffs, all you got to look at is three-point shooting numbers, and that's going to tell you who's going to win the damn game. That's it, period. Uh, This is a side note. This is a side note. I'm looking here and Snoop Dogg's on my television. Now, listen to Snoop Dogg's lyrics about women and drugs and police and the arrest, yet Snoop Dogg can be on my TV and Urban Meyer can't? Michael Vick can be on my TV and Urban Meyer can't? I saw some article about Urban Meyer uh, and how his colleagues will view him at Fox if they bring him back. What? I got Snoop Dogg on my TV. Give, do yourself a favor. Give a listen. I got Michael Vick on TV hosting or anal- a- analyzing. Yeah, that dude killed dogs. <laughs> the world we live in is awesome. But Urban Meyer, he made people mad. Really? Yeah? All right. That's, that's not killing dogs. That's not organizing groups to hate the police. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about here? Man, the world is the world is awesome right now. It just hit me right there. Snoop Dogg's on my TV. Michael Vick's on my TV, and Urban Meyer can't be on my TV because, well, uh, uh, some owner that has never won a game didn't like him. Oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> Urban Meyer, when he was on, and I hope he goes back to the Big Noon Saturday, the best thing on TV for your pregame. Uh, college football viewing, and it ain't close. Like, I told the higher-ups at ESPN, you need a coach on there. Herb Street and Desmond Howard trying to act like coaches. No, it don't work. You get a real coach on there, someone that's actually been in the locker room for something other than ask questions in the last 20 years, you got magic. But Urban Meyer can't be on your TV, but Michael Vick, hell, Ray Lewis was all over it for a while. That dude was involved in a murder. And lied to a grand jury. Chris Webber was on my TV. That dude, if a man named Bill Martin hadn't died, that dude would have been (laughs) in jail for a long time for lying to a grand jury. What are we talking about? How many DUI? Jalen Rose got him a DUI. What are we, white boy wasted, he said on TV, but Urban Meyer can't be on TV? All right. Whatever you say, man. (laughs) 
I love the world that we're in. Hey, I got a new segment for you. I got a new segment for you. I think you're going to like it. Ready? Let me see what it is, because I always forget. It's called Get Off My Ass. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people that the media needs to just shut up on. Shut up on. Uh, They are all sports figures. They are. So here you go. When we come back, get off my backside, media. Just get off. Be right back with that. I can't wait. Wait, wasn't wasn't there a big deal when ESPN hired the murderous, not a murderer, being involved in a murder? I think makes you murder us, Ray Lewis, Michael Vick. <laughs> oh wait, Urban Meyer made the owner mad. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey, hey, hey. We'll be right back. Hey, hey now. Hey, hey. Down boy. That's it. I gotta take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Lula, look at the camera. Yeah, there you go. This is Lula Mae Bickford. She's a hussy. (laughs) Now, you got to be like 110 years old to know what a hussy is. Yeah, that's right. You're a hussy. Yeah. See, I don't even like dogs. I don't have the gene that likes dogs, but I kind of like this one. She's from a garbage dump. That's right. All right, get down, Lula Mae Bickford. Go find a man to, you know, have the sex with. <laughs> Lula Mae Bickford was my wife's aunt, great aunt, and she was a hussy. Six husbands. She was a woman about town. She wagged it a little bit. That's right. But I, my Lula Mae Bickford is, um, well, she was found in a garbage dump by one of our neighbors, she and her sisters, I guess, I don't know, and we went over and we paid some money and we got Lula Mae Bickford. And when the dog comes on the screen here, guess what you hear? Lula Mae Bickford thinking that the dog is real, so the dog barks. I think yesterday she had to take a number two, so that's why she got yelling. But there's my dog, ladies and gentlemen, Lula Mae Bickford. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Get off my backside. These are folks that the media is coming after, and I don't like it. In some cases, the media has been after for years and years and years. Now, let me go through this. Brian Kelly, numero uno. All right. I know the deal. We all know the deal. Old white guy. Old white guy's easiest guy in the world to come at. Marcus Freeman's going to be great at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman legitimately looked like he had absolutely no idea where he was and had no chance at being a head coach in the bowl game. I personally am rooting for Marcus Freeman. That's just one game. First game as a head coach. We'll see how it goes. But stop with the stupid on criticizing Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly is a football coach that came up the absolute way most of us did. He was a grad assistant with a friend of mine, Pat Battistini. They lived together. In fact, my buddy Pat Battistini has a picture of Brian Kelly dressed up as a pig at Halloween. I digress. Brian Kelly has won everywhere he's been. He's been to two college football playoffs at Notre Dame. Now, 2018, 2020, yeah, he lost, but he's in them. I mean, what's wrong with you folks? Notre Dame's all-time winningest coach is Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly, uh, I don't know. 
92 and 39 at Notre Dame, 34 and 6 at Cincinnati, uh, 19 and 16. I'm telling you, the MAC is the hardest league. Only league Urban Meyer didn't win was the MAC. Uh, 118, 35 and 2 at Grand Valley. He came up the absolute right way. Yeah, he left Notre Dame because a dude wants to win a national championship and you get tired of being at Notre Dame. And you tell me. You want to coach at Notre Dame where it's freezing in the winter and you got all these blockhead guys that were third-team All-Catholic League in Chicago uh, now that are 25, 27 years old telling you how to coach? Stop it. Stop it. You go to LSU and you dance a little bit. You go to LSU and you try to fit in. You give yourself a little Southern accent. And he's done a really good job. Uh, he's got the 12th-ranked recruiting class, at least by some, top 10 by others. Brian Kelly's going to win football games at LSU, and he's going to make LSU people happy. Because unlike Notre Dame, where they've got this phony facade of an image, hey, LSU people don't care if you yell at the quarterback. LSU folks don't care what you do. You know what LSU is? Basically the Oakland Raiders. Just win, baby. That's it. Don't at me about it. Just win, baby. That's where we're at with this. So everybody said, well, Brian Kelly this. Brian Kelly's easy target because he's a middle-aged white guy. We all know that. Hell, everybody knows that. I, it's the Carson Wentz theory. Once you can test the win, once you can bully someone, guess what? That's all people want to do is bully someone. We all know this. This isn't uh, any kind of big news. So get off Brian Kelly's backside. Get off him. He's going to win. He's going to win big. He's going to challenge Saban. Next thing you know, LSU is going to have like Ed Ogeron years, except they're going to be sustained because Ed Ogeron was a horse bleep coach. Everybody knew it, and he had a good year. So don't even at me with Brian Kelly. I've had enough of you people. Hey, I don't know Brian Kelly. He's not a friend of mine. He's been on my show, and he's been great when he is. But stop it. Another guy, myself included here. Get off the backside of Grayson Allen. Yes, Grayson Allen was a punk at Duke. Yes, Grayson Allen has a face you want to punch. Yes, I understand. He's got all of that. When you look at Grayson Allen, the first thing you do is, man, I want to punch that guy. That's what you do. I mean, look at his face. He's snotty. You guys know the term snotty? Do you know what the term snotty is? I mean, if you've ever been around kids, you know what the term snotty, ah, he's a little snotty kid. What's that kid like? Eh. See, most kids now are snotty. Grayson Allen went to a rich high school. Grayson Allen was a nice kid by all accounts. A friend of mine's kids went to school with him. He's a nice kid. Goes to Duke, starts tripping people. Kay had lost his sack years before, uh, so he didn't have the satchel anymore to criticize Grayson Allen, make excuses for him. And what happens when you make excuses for someone? They start doing the same thing over and over and over and over again that you're making the excuses for. I'm in a game in the summer league, and Grayson Allen goes through his antics, and I actually got in a little bit of trouble because the referees came over to me, and they're like, Dan. And as they came over, I go, just kick his ass out. And they caught me on camera going like this. So the NBA called up ESPN. Said, well, you know, Dawkins shouldn't do that. ESPN laughed and went about their business. So I'm going to get off Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen's played great in the playoffs. Grayson Allen has been a force in the playoffs. He's dropped 25 or more a couple different times. He's taken charges. He's been a really, really good player. And this after the kid 
struggled to find his way in the NBA. Thus, he was in the summer league. I respect that. I respect the fact that Grayson Allen has come on as a player after struggling. It's so easy. It's like Jordan Poole. You know, the kid that is at Golden State. Jordan Poole was in the G League, man. Jordan Poole is all about cockiness. Well, if you're all about cockiness, as is Grayson Allen, that means you are all about ego as well. That means you got a pretty good ego. Well, that ego gets smashed when you got to go to the G League. There's no dignity in going to the G League. They don't sell your jersey in the G League. Well, Allen went to the G League, did well, came back. Now he's found a spot. Jordan Poole went to the G League, did well, came back. Now he's, I don't know, he's going to sign for a lot of money. But I like it. I like when guys, see, I I like the Jordan Pools of the world. I don't like the Zion Williamson's of the world. Too much is given, much is expected. Zion Williamson, just a fat ass. He's just a fat ass as an immature little kid that hadn't figured it out yet. It's going to be interesting. A year from now, I may tell you how much respect I have for Zion Williamson. A year ago, I would not have told you to get off Grayson Allen's backside. But now I am. Because things change in sports. I can hear it right now. I'm not on Twitter right now, but I can see it right now. Grayson Allen, you're the one that talked bad about him. Yeah, I did, but things change in sports. And they change quickly. I watched Grayson Allen yesterday. I'm like, hey, get off his backside, man. Okay, he did what he did in college. All these slaps that you see up here, they sure don't want what they did in college out there. Jalen Rose on my TV, you think that clown wants what he did in college out there? Please. Jameis Winston. Yeah, I know. I know. Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions as a young quarterback with Tampa Bay. That's all I ever hear. That's all I ever hear. Well, you know, Jameis Winston threw a million interceptions. Okay. You know who the all-time leader in interceptions as a rookie is? I'll give you a guess. I'll wait. If you were watching our show yesterday or listening to our show yesterday in Indy, you know the answer to this. It's Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning threw 28 interceptions as a rookie. And Jim Zorn second, 27. Now, that goes back a ways, right? You think all these young quarterbacks that have been throwing interceptions are so bad? They ain't as bad as Peyton Manning. All-time record, Peyton Manning. Now, that's not 30 interceptions in your second year like Jameis Winston did, but I blame as much of that on Jameis Winston as ever who the heck was coaching. Let's be honest. Jameis Winston then left. Here's why I say the coaching part. Jameis Winston then left. He went last year, and before he got hurt, he was 14-3, to interceptions to touchdowns. Excuse me, touchdowns to interceptions. And yet every time I read something about Jameis Winston being the quarterback of the Saints, all I hear is this. Well, you know, he threw 30 interceptions. I just said in the previous segment, smart people, let me add to it, smart people have a tendency to actually watch what happens and adjust their opinion based on what is actual, not based on what a guy did two years ago when he's had improvement. I watch what's actual. So the next time you see, well, Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions, you're either going to get a touchdown or an interception with Jameis Winston. Shut up. No, you're not. Just understand that Jameis Winston finally went to Sean Payton, finally went to somebody, somebody that taught him. Next thing you know, he's 14 to 3. Ain't nothing wrong with that. 
get off his backside. Look, I had one chance. I know Jameis Winston did some sketchy stuff in college, but again, didn't you? I understand too much is given, much is expected, and he failed in that vein in college. A lot of us did. A lot of us are very lucky that we did not have, ladies and gentlemen, we did not have social media. But I'm, I'm all in on Jameis Winston. I met him one time, and I could see why people want to hang around him. It was Mike Tirico and myself. We were doing a game at Michigan. Jameis Winston had some quarterback, I think from LSU, that ended up getting drafted, but I don't think he did very well. I can't remember his name. They were there to work out with Harbaugh, Harbaugh being the quarterback whisperer. So after the game, the guys came up and they wanted to talk to Mike Tirico. So I'm sitting there kind of observing, which is what I do. And I got to tell you, Jameis Winston seemed like the kind of guy you'd like to be around. I'm just, you know, whether he is or isn't, I don't know. I'm just telling you my experience with him. So from that point on, I kind of rooted for the kid. And then I saw him just absolutely obliterate the Colts a few years after that. And, hey. I understand he's had struggles, but if I'm the Saints, and again, I don't see him on a daily basis, but from what I know, if I'm the Saints, I'm all in on Jameis Winston. All right, you guys may not even know who this is anymore. They call him Jay Hay in Chicago. Jason Hayward. Like, you go to a Cubs game, and everybody's on Jay Hay's backside. He got a big contract, a monster deal. It's probably the only reason he's playing with the Cubs. But here's the situation. 2016, Game 7 World Series. Cubs are down. There's a rain delay. That guy right there on your screen, Jason Hayward, by all accounts, including the current Cubs manager, David Ross, let everybody in that building know, and I mean the building, the Cubs part of the building, know that the Cubs were not losing this game. And here's how. We're going to take pitches. We're going to do this, that. And at the end of the game, when the Cubs won the game, won the World Series, that guy right there, by every single metric, every single individual that was in that clubhouse credited him. The first person they credited outside of a guy hitting a home run outside of, you know, was him. Fast forward. He hasn't hit a lick since. But I'll tell you this, that dude can spin it in right field or center field. He's been a valuable member. He's been a leader. And I don't give a damn what any of you think. Growing up outside Chicago, watching the Cubs play every single day, kind of having your day either accelerated or ruined by the Cubs winning or losing as a kid, never ever believing they were going to get to a World Series I respect them all. I didn't want Joe Madden fired. I didn't want Schwarber gone. I don't want Rizzo gone. I don't want any of them. Bring back Aroldis Chapman. That guy right there, Jason Hayward, will forever be a favorite of mine because he plays hard every day. He made a great impassioned plea that the player said was incredibly incredible, helping him win a World Series. And, oh, by the way, during that World Series run, he was terrific in right field. Hasn't hit a lick. Hasn't become the next whatever you want him to become. Came up with the Braves. I think his first game was against the Cubs. I think he had two home runs. Everybody thought he was going to be the next because he was in Atlanta, Hank Aaron. He hasn't been that. 
but he helped the Cubs get to a World Series. And he's out there every day in a bad club busting it. And I respect it. So, hey, Chicago Cub fans, get off Jay Hayes' backside. That's right. I said it. I meant it. I ain't going to forget it. Now, this comes to the hypocritical portion of our program. Get off Lincoln Riley. Of course Lincoln Riley's a fraud. Who isn't a fraud in college football? Of course Lincoln Riley shafted the old Sooners a story program of Bud Wilkinson. Of course he did all that. The one senator gave him like two inches of highway on the way out of the stage, symbolic to, hey, Lincoln, tell your story, walking. You're telling me, big money Norman, Oklahoma, big money L.A. at his age? Come on. Come on, Pookie. Let me add something to it. Big money Norman, Oklahoma, big money L.A. at his age? plus an era of paying players. This isn't NIL. This is straight paying players. So in this era, let me ask you this, you guys on the YouTube chat. Would you rather make your money in Lincoln, uh, uh, wherever the hell it is, Norman, Oklahoma, or would you rather make your money, oh, I don't know, in L.A.? Now, before you say, well, you know, I'd really like to be in Norman. All right. I, I agree. You should, you should understand you're 20 years old. You're 22 years old. You're 21 years old. Where are you going? Where do you want to go? You tell me. I'm listening. Danny D is here for you. So you're telling me, you know, my mom went to Oklahoma. My dad went to Oklahoma. I think I would just rather be in Oklahoma. Not a chance in hell. Not at 22. Maybe now. Maybe we're all older. I'm looking at the YouTube chat, and we'll see. But I'm just telling you, there's no way ever. Why am I yelling? I don't know. But there's no way, no way, at 22, 21, 19, whatever, that any of you wants to spend it making a million, let's say a million a year, let's say three million a year like this wide receiver from Pittsburgh. You tell me, Bill Martin, L.A. every day. Steve Burnett says he's using USC as a stepping stone for an NFL head coaching job. Good for him. Good for him. I'm just telling you. We would all do the same damn thing. But somehow when a guy does the same damn thing, that we all would do, we have a tendency to try to get mad about it. Well, I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad about it today. I ain't mad about it tomorrow. And I ain't mad about it the next day. And Lincoln Riley, you stole the quarterback, but you didn't really steal the quarterback. Read Teddy Greenstein's book about quarterback dads. That's a dad that without question, and a kid that without question, understand the business of college football slash NFL football, they were going to Oklahoma, or excuse me, they were going to LA the second, the instant Lincoln Riley went. And they were going to get big money and they were going to become players in the industry that is Los Angeles. 
And I don't blame him one bit. I don't blame Lincoln Riley one bit. I'm just saying. That's the way I look at it. Now, Sean says Texas or Florida, no state income tax. I agree with that. The problem with living in L.A. is guess what? You got to live in L.A. And you got to deal with all the crapola of L.A. But I'm just telling you, 18 to 22 years old, you're giving me millions. I'm a football star. I'll take my chances in sunny Southern California. I will. All right. Again, this is the hypocritical part of our program. You ready? Nigel Pack. Let's get off his backside. Yes, he's not. He's a fine player. He's a 5'9 point guard that got his coach fired. My article is up at OutKick. Yes, I understand. I do. I understand. Uh, We would all do it. And that's the point. That's the point, ladies and gentlemen. We all would do it. Manhattan, Kansas. My coach just got fired. The coach that I went to go play for just got the ax. Miami, Florida. An easy coach to play for in Larinaga. Everyone's grandfather. Some jock-sniffing billionaire is going to give me $400,000 a year. A year. Two-year deal. And a car. Hell, most guys were going for just a car back in the day. $400,000, no state income tax, and a car, uh, Miami. Again, I'm 21, 22 years old. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to my, you ever been to Manhattan, Kansas? I ask you, Nick. I ask you, Globetrotters, Sean, M-R-C. I ask you, Sean Black, and those of you on the YouTube chat, you ever been to Manhattan, Kansas? You have. You just don't know it. If you've been to Bowling Green, Ohio, you've been to Manhattan, Kansas. If you've been to any flat place, Iowa City, you've been to Manhattan, Kansas. Ames, Iowa, you've been to Manhattan, Kansas. All the same thing. Flat. Windy college town, period. You've been there. I'm just saying. So now all of a sudden, Nigel Pag gets 400K tax free, a scholarship. If you're smart, you can take that 400K, put 300,000 in the bank, spend 100,000, have a great time. Hell, college is paid for. No income tax, Sean Black. So I'm going to get off Nigel Pack's backside. And I'm really not been on his backside. I'm just pointing out that, hey, look, there is a saying in coaching, every team has a leading score and every team has a leading rebound. There is a saying in coaching, every god-awful team has a leading score and every team has a leading rebound. So when you say, well, he averaged 17.5 at Kansas State, yeah, lousy team, got his coach fired. But, hey, leading score, leading rebounder, every team, he's at $400,000. I'm going to get off his backside. I'd do the same thing. I would. I think you would, too. Nigel Pack, if I was walking around with $400,000, the first thing I'd have to do is I'd have to figure out how to share the wealth. I'd have to share the wealth with my teammates. Not sure how I'd do it, but I'd have to do it. And then while I'm sharing the wealth, it would be gone pretty quickly, I think. But anyway, I digress. All right. Let me ask you this. How bad are the Reds? How bad are the Reds? The Reds are historically bad. 
The Reds are so bad that literally people are flying planes over the arena saying, hey, uh, guess what? Uh, we're so bad that, I don't know, we got to get rid of everybody. They're so bad that the president of the team, a guy named Nick Castellanio, whatever the hell his name is, uh, decided that he was going to insult the fans with kind of a veiled, not actually veiled threat, that, hey, look, it's better to do this than to have the team leave. Didn't work out for the president of the Reds. But the one guy you got to get off the backside of, I think anyway, is Joey Votto. Joey Votto's had an awful year. But imagine being Joey Votto. You're right there on the Hall of Fame. You're close. I probably are. I don't know. But you've been a mainstay. You've stayed there. You've stayed loyal. You've done all the things that a baseball player should do, at least in our mind, right? A small market team, put up big numbers, been through all kind of different ups and downs. And all of a sudden here towards the end of your career, every single person that can play, whether it's Winkler or Barnhart, doesn't matter. They're all gone. And now you're playing on a team that every single day, you know as a veteran, you know because you've been doing this for 162 years, you know you have no chance, no chance, every single night out. Now, I'm just going to tell you, you're not 23 anymore. You know, Joey Votto's mid to upper 30s. Joey Votto is a guy that, frankly, uh, isn't in the same spot of the people that I've been telling you about. It isn't an up-and-comer. He's seen it. He's done it. And he's at the end of it. So now, and I'm going to give you, now as the Reds, listen to this. You ready for this? You ready for this, John Desmond? You ready for this, Jason Cox? You ready for this, all you folks on the YouTube chat? Do you actually know what the Reds' record is? The Cubs are 9-14. and 14, And the Reds are six games behind the Cubs. They're 3-20. and 20. And Joey Votto is catching hell, right? Why is Joey Votto catching hell? Because he's batting about 130. Joey Votto just went on the COVID list. Okay. But get off Joey Votto's backside. If I were a veteran that had a chance to make the Hall of Fame, and I don't know, I'm playing every single day with a bunch of scrubs. I'm not sure I'd be hitting 122, which he is, but it'd be tough. It'd be tough every single day. It would. So get off Joey Votto's backside. The Reds, you stink. Joey Votto's been a mainstay. I know he stinks this year, but so what? Your team's 3-20. and 20. That ain't his fault. 3 and 20. You got to try to be 3-20. and 20. Like, you got to walk into that locker room. If I were the manager, if I had any kind of backside, I'd be like, fellas, are you trying to lose? Get off Joey Votto. Let's review. Brian Kelly, get off his backside. Grayson Allen, been pretty good. Been pretty, pretty, pretty good. Jameis Winston, yes, I know he had 30 interceptions back in the day, but he was 14-3 to last year before he hurt his ACL. I mean, is it possible in the world of instant gratification that somebody can improve? 
Jason Hayward, 2016, don't at me. Cubs won the World Series. Hayward was the reason why, and he's out there still battling today. Like Joey Votto, don't at me about Jason Hayward. Lincoln Riley, whatever the motivation, get out of Norman. Get an NFL job. Go uh, to sunny California. Get ahead of the curve on the NIL. I don't know. But I know this. Lincoln Riley ain't no fool. Nigel Pack, raise your hand if you were 18 to 22 that we weren't going to get out of Manhattan, Kansas, and you weren't going to go to Miami of Florida for $400,000 a year tax-free and your scholarship and a car. Child, please. And enjoy Votto, I already mentioned. Ten-cent beer night. I'm with you, Globetrotter. Do you think the Reds will get to the point where they'll take out an $8 billion insurance policy and have 10 cent beer night. Not a bad move. Today is Wednesday. Today is Wednesday, which is hope day. But you know what else it is? We got what the hell Wednesday. I got gun charges. I got people that are in coffins but aren't dead. I got apologies. I got all kind of stuff for you. When we come back, don't go anywhere. Tweet out the show. Help a brother out here. And then a delicious Allison Williams, who is owed an apology by everybody in this country. She's going to join us coming up at 1030. Our number one in the books. And I got to tell you, that was pretty good. You know what I'm tired of? This. You See, this is me and my wife. Well, it just went away. During the show, this. Uh, Robin Hood. TDOC is down 5.3% every freaking day with this idiot president. Everything's down. Up with people. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Well, this isn't very nice. Chris Hogan says, the woke blank is so stupid. You don't have to be stupid. You bald F. Well, that's not very nice. He doesn't seem like a very nice man. Chris Z. Hogan. Okay. I don't know what to tell you, but I do know this. I do know that the NBA playoffs are way up and we ain't got no wokeness. But I digress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, go to PointsBet. Code Dockage. Help a brother out right here. It is hoop It is What the Hell Wednesday as my dog is sitting here looking. Now, I have told you, in the world that we live in, the entire world is headed to AAU basketball. Well, what does headed to AAU basketball mean? Well, what headed to AAU basketball means is what happened in Boston, and you're going to see it right now. What happened in Boston is a father has been arrested. You read it facing gun charges after a confrontation at his son's AAU basketball game. You don't say. Really? Shocking, I say. You're going to see it in the NBA. Hell, you're starting to see things in the NBA now, including uh, last night, Draymond Green double birding everybody. It's coming. Whatever happens in AAU basketball is coming. Uh, Jesse Mao was arrested. There was a disturbance at an AAU basketball game in Westford, Massachusetts. Mao pulled out a gun. Yeah, he did. 
after a confrontation with parents of opposing players. Witnesses told the police appeared the gun jammed as Mo handled the gun. There were a thousand people inside the complex at the time, many of whom were seen on surveillance video sprinting towards the exit, lying on the floor, covering their children, attempting to hide any type or find any type of cover that they could. The dude is charged with several crimes, carrying a firearm without a license, ammunition possession, a bunch of stuff. All right. Here's why I say what I say about AAU basketball. At coach underscore Hickey. All right. Another weekend of AAU basketball. And we have one dad pulling a gun on the other. Thank God it jammed. This is a sad state of affairs. I'm telling you, people laugh at me when I said it. The dumbest of the dumb laughed at me when I said, look, this NIL stuff, uh, you're going to see it. You're going to see it. You're going to see mommies and daddies confront coaches and confront referees and confront each other at college basketball games. See, you guys think college basketball is just these big, monstrous 17,000-seat, 20,000-seat arenas. No. The average attendance at a college basketball game is about five, 6,000 because there's so many games, so many different gyms. That's the average attendance. And most places, you could hear people yelling and screaming and all that kind of stuff. So when you see coaches like Jay Wright and these guys leave, who's replacing them? Oh, but I know this, all of a sudden we're seeing a lot of middle fingers flying up to crowds, to, to last night Draymond Green gave us a double bird. You're seeing it. It's already starting. That's AAU right there, baby. Yelling at crowd. That's AAU, baby. We already saw a confrontation. There was a dad that Lee Ross dealt with, my wife, when she was, at, when she was a head coach at Bowling Green. A dad gave her an elbow in a parking lot. It's coming. Anybody thinks it isn't just has no idea. Now, the gun charges thing is interesting. It's going to happen outside. And let's be honest, back in my day, they used to say in Gary, Indiana, we may not win the game, but we'll win the fight because there was a lot of times a fight after the game. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when this stuff comes. Just like five years ago, the double bird last night of Draymond Green would have elicited some type of response on any of these shows, but we're so afraid to criticize right now. There is not a chance in holy hell. Not a chance anyone's going to say anything. Why? Because the wind blows and Draymond Green will not take your smoke. Draymond Green will come back at you and not one media, particularly white media, wants anybody. Doesn't want Draymond Green coming back at you. I love it. Draymond Green went straight AAU. We're seeing it. It's coming. Don't worry about it. It's all coming. Uh, Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback for the Nashville, whatever the hell they're called, the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill decides, I don't want to teach you anything. This is a great graphic. I want to teach you. I don't want to mentor you. No. I want to be a victim. I've been through counseling. I got a scar. Now, I'm paraphrasing, and I watched it because the Outkick 360 guys did a great job with it. I watched it, and it wasn't that dramatic. 
But honest to God. So he goes and he lets everyone know that Ryan Tannehill has been to therapy. All right. Okay. Now, I wanted people to know that I have dealt with real depression when I was coaching because I want to help them. It sounded yesterday like Tannehill wanted your sympathy. Well, that all went out the window when Tannehill said, and I quote, I don't think it's my job to mentor Malik Willis. But if he learns from me along the way, then so be it. Okay. I mean, look, if that's the way you feel, that's the way you feel. But the truth of the matter is, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Like, guys are now mad at Tannehill. Like Kurt Warner, that sanctimonious fake Christian, he comes out and says, well, I will mentor you if any of you need it. Hey, man, when is it a business or when is it not a business? You guys got to tell me. You guys got to tell me. Uh, Buck Raising says it's not Tannehill's job to mentor Willis. It wasn't Joe Flacco's job to mentor Jackson. Tom Brady actively undermined Jimmy G. Ask Aaron Rodgers how supportive Brett Favre was. Ryan Clark, of course, Ryan Clark. I see Tannehill is on the not-my-job-to-mentor energy. It's not. But, man, it makes you a good teammate. You can win without your quarterback being a good teammate, but better for the team if he is. What a leader. Guess the Steelers DB had it all wrong, taking time with rookies. Everybody does it different. Ryan Clark hasn't said an interesting thing ever. Everybody does it different. Like, I don't know. But if I'm, there's only one quarterback. Like DBs, that's fine. But there's only one quarterback on a team. Doesn't mean you're a bad teammate. Doesn't mean that all of a sudden, because you say you're mentoring. See, that's what we do. That's the beauty of guys like Ryan Clark. The dumbest among us always take that and say, well, then you're a bad teammate. Nobody's saying Tannehill's a bad teammate. There's never been rumors of Tannehill being a bad teammate. Tannehill's a competitive guy. The Outkick 360 guys explained it. Well, it's not a great look, but it doesn't go from, hey, I'm not mentoring him to Ryan Clark saying you're a bad teammate. What's Ryan Clark talking about? It's a hell of a leap, but that's the leap you got to make when you're a guy like Ryan Clark that just has to say things so people know who the hell you are. Me, I don't want you to know who I am. This is an undercover show. All of a sudden, he's a bad teammate just because he made one, one, one statement at a press conference. Amazing world we live in. Amazing world where guys like Ryan Clark actually have a voice when you're that dumb. Seriously, that's just dumb. Look, if I say I don't want to mentor you, look, that doesn't mean, and actually, if I say it's not my job to mentor, he didn't say he didn't want to, but we have to make this jump because that's what we have to do. We'll see if he's a good teammate. We'll see. Maybe next thing you know, they get in a room and all of a sudden they click, they like each other. What if that happens? But to immediately say he's a bad teammate is just stupid. Take that for what it's worth. This, ladies and gentlemen, is my biggest nightmare. 
I have always said, and I want you guys on the YouTube chat and out here on Twitter world, this is my biggest nightmare. Dead woman bangs on coffin to say she's alive during her own funeral. This is my biggest nightmare. I've always said this. What happens if maybe your body's dead, but inside you're actually alive and you're underground and you can't get out? Go to the beard on that one. Think about it. That's why I'm saying I just cremate me. Because I'm worried about this. Let me walk you through this. So a woman was rushed to the hospital after she was banging on her own coffin during her funeral. This happened in Peru. Warning, you may find the content of this story distressing. Okay. This happened in Peru. A funeral was going on. It was interrupted after knocking was heard inside the coffin. Rosa Isabel Cespedes Caranca. Uh, her family had gathered in Peru to pay their final respects April 26th. Rosa had been involved in a serious crash. The accident claimed the life of her brother-in-law and left her nephews with serious injuries. She was pronounced dead following the crash and loaded into a coffin ahead of her funeral. But when her relatives hoisted the coffin onto their shoulders they began to hear strange noises. They lowered the coffin. Think about this. Think about this. They lowered the coffin, opened the lid to find a weak but very much alive Rosa looking at them. She opened her eyes and was sweating, the cemetery caretaker said. She opened her eyes and was sweating. They rushed her to the hospital. She was found to have weak sounds, uh, signs of life and was hooked up to life support. She did die a few hours later. But her family, who had to say their final goodbyes not once, but two times, they want answers. They want to ask the healthcare people, hey, what the hell? How was she declared dead? We want to know why my niece reacted yesterday when we were taking her to be buried. We have video in which she pushes and touches the coffin. They think she may have been in a coma, which, why, which was why she was explained dead. But people go to comas all the time, don't they? But I'm telling you, this is my biggest nightmare. I mean, can you imagine? It is. I have this nightmare all the time. I think about this all the time. Let me out! Even if I'm dead. Now, I've only seen one dead body in my life, and it was my dad. April 8th, 2014, and he was dead. I mean, to say you got anything in you, I don't think you got anything in you. That man was dead. But anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. If you talk about a what the hell, that's a what the. All right. You don't ever see this. An umpire and a player apologizing to one another. When's the last time you saw that? You see this. Chad Fairchild owned up to Chris Bassett for missing a strike call on Dansby uh, Swanson. Let me take you through this. So. The umpire in this case is Chris Fairchild. 
He, after a pitch by Chris Bassett, Chris Bassett throws a 2-2 pitch, thinks it's a strike, does what a lot of guys do. He starts walking off. His teammates start walking off. The umpire calls it a ball. The umpire gets blanked off. Chris Bassett gets blanked off. Words are exchanged. Nobody gets thrown out, but words are exchanged, and now we got a scene. Well, next pitch or whatever, the inning's over. It really didn't hurt anybody as he's walking off more of a scene between Bassett and Fairchild. But give these two guys great credit. Bassett and Fairchild the next day said, hey, I screwed it up. They met before the game. They talked about it. Both apologized. Fairchild apologized for missing the call, right? Bassett apologized for his reaction. That shouldn't be a what the hell, right? You would think that that is something that would happen all the time, but au contraire, it does not. It happens very, very, very infrequently, at least according to my peeps. My peeps in baseball say, yeah, usually in baseball, guys are so into their side, meaning the umpires are so, I didn't miss a call. And players like, screw the umpire, right? But that's pretty cool. I like that. Let me give you another one. What are you doing, dog? The dog wants up here. For some reason, the dog is sniffing my crotch, and you know what? I ain't mad about it. Anyway, (laughs) did you know the Oakland Coliseum holds 63,000-plus people? If you've ever been to game to the Oakland Coliseum, uh, it's big. It's really, really, really big. And it's a horrible place to watch a game. I mean, really. The foul lines are like from here to 10 uh, 10 blocks over. So even the best seats down the left field line, you're away from everything. They've renovated it and all that kind of stuff. They've done all that kind. That's fine. I like it. But, all right. The Oakland Coliseum, last time out, 2,400 people went to a game. 2,400, that's 2.9%, I'm sorry, 3.9% capacity. 3.9, capacity. They're filling up. Think about that. Think about you get to the show. Oh, man, I said this yesterday on our ESPN show. You're Nuke Lelouch. You're meat. You're the guy, right? I'm called up to the bigs. Wait a second. Oakland, more people watching Andre in high school baseball game than are watching the Oakland Athletics in a stadium that is monstrous, in a stadium that is built for football. This is the bigs? Are you kidding me? Well, it is. And that's what the A's got going. This is a serious problem. Quick. All right. I'm going to go to the YouTube chat. Quick, or on the uh, on Twitter here. Quick, name me somebody that plays for the Oakland A's on Twitter. Name me one person that plays for the Oakland Athletics. No, you can't say Jeff Samarja. No, they traded Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya went to my high school. He's a great player, great pitcher. They got rid of him because, well, he's probably too good. Name me one player. YouTube chat, one player. Let's see. 
Yeah, I got nobody so far. Yeah. Hey, Dan, wait till the dog humps your leg. That happens all the time. Uh, Chapman, there you go. Dan, did you know Toledo hockey had 8,600 people last night, and that's minor league hockey? Our outkick guys think that Moneyball was a good movie, and it was. See, Joe Rudy is not walking through that door, people. Vita Blue is not walking through that door, people. Raleigh Fingers is not walking through that door, people. Reggie Jackson is not walking through that door, people. Uh Uh-uh. No. Catfish Hunter. No. No. Don't at me. Herb Washington. Charlie Finley, who's from our neighborhood, is not walking through that door. Giambi, they said. Reggie Jackson. 2,400 people in a 63,000-seat arena. There you go. Hey, I don't know what to tell you, but Coop on Twitter, uh, that dog sniffing my crotch, and I ain't mad about it. Hey, it's down there. It's working. It's doing its thing. All right, shall we continue? The aforementioned Draymond Green. The aforementioned Draymond Green last night sent a message to the good folks in Memphis. The double bird, the grade school, the high school, the AAU double bird. Amen. Uh, everything is out the window in pro sports. It is. Everything. And not one person is mentioning it today. We just accept it. When you lower the bar, people will always hit that bar. Always. So now it's okay. We'll double bird. Draymond says, they get nasty with me. I get nasty with them. Good for Draymond Green, man. Good for him. What the hell? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This is the world that we live. Let's just flip people off. Let's just do whatever. Going into the stands and fighting is next. You will see it. And there will be no, absolutely no angst over it because as a society, we're so afraid to criticize our little professional athletes. (laughs) But this is the norm right now. This is where we're at, and it's glorious. It is absolutely glorious. As someone that doesn't have to deal with it even a little bit, I think it's awesome. If I had to deal with it even a little bit, I wouldn't think it to be so awesome. But even I've gotten to the point, like I'm this old school guy that everybody thinks, right? I'm old school. You're old school, Doc. It's sure this. No, I'm not. But I do think as an athlete, you have a certain, I don't know, responsibility to kind of be above the fray. I'm not saying you don't yell back. I'm not saying, but when you're going double bird and you're a, I don't know, a hero. It's just a sign of where we're at as a society, man. I mean, look, there's a lot of things going on in our society now that we didn't accept years ago. There's a video every day of someone looting the store and nobody doing nothing. My wife works at Athleta. If somebody's shoplifting, you're not allowed to say anything. Seems stupid to me. But hey, it's the way of the world. It's coming. And it's coming more and more and more and more. Somebody's going to pull a gun. Some coach going to get pulled a gun on. Some referee going to get pulled a gun on in a major event. It's coming. It ain't up to me, brah. I'm just sitting here telling you what's coming because I pay attention. 
So Draymond Green's got to go back to the locker room. He got hit in the face, which in the world of Draymond Green uh, means there's got to be all kind of dramatic and there's got to be drama and there's got to be whining and there's got to be, I'm all upset because someone hit me in the face. So we go double bird and then we act like a hero. Well, you get nasty with me, I get nasty with you. Whatever happened to Obama? Whatever happened to Michelle Obama and her great arms? When they go low, we go high. No, that was all crap from Obama, and it's all crap from everyone. When we allow you to go low, you'll go lower. That's the new thing in this world today. And there you go. Draymond Green showed it exactly. Uh, Speaking of this, this is the world that's coming to sports. I promise you it's coming to sports. Guy ran on the stage and attacked Dave Chappelle. Now, you know Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is a guy that everybody's mad about for absolutely nothing. The trans world's mad at him, but if you watch his concert where the trans world got mad at him, trans world, he did nothing. Say nothing. But a dude decided that he is going to run on stage, and it did not work out well for him. It didn't work out well for him at all. Can we show the next clip where the guy's arm got broken? Can we show that? Don't tackle Dave Chappelle while he's performing on stage, ladies and gentlemen, because that's where you end up, baby. And I'm all for that. I am. You come at a guy on stage, I'm all for you getting your arm broken, your ass broken, everything broken. I'm for you getting knocked and beating the hell out of there's a great clip 100 years ago. Mike Curtis, middle linebacker, Baltimore Colts. Some idiots running on the field protesting something. Boom! I am all for that. If you think it's okay to run on stage, then I think it's okay to beat the living you-know-what on you. That's why players should never go into the stands. Because once you go into the stands, it ain't going to stop from fans to beat the living hell out of you. Flip them off. Act like a tough guy. Think that you're somebody, complain, and move on. But don't run on stage or don't run on the court or don't run on the rink or don't run on the field. Don't do it. And if you do, I hope you get the absolute hell knocked out of you or you get a broken arm like that dude right there. Chappelle just showing up to do a show. You don't like Chappelle? Guess what? Don't buy a ticket. People in the audience are just there for a nice night. Little drink, little something to eat. You're going to laugh your brains off because Chappelle's funny as hell. If you want to get offended, don't go to a Dave Chappelle show. And if you run on stage, let it be known, Chappelle and his peeps are going to beat the hell out of you. Period. And I got to tell you, I am all I'm not a little for it. I'm all for it. And don't come at me with I'm advocating violence. Violence is all around the world. It's violent when somebody walks into a Walgreens and steals all the freaking ibuprofen so they can go out and sell it. Or the guy that stole all the meat from a Costco the other day and walked out. Violence is all around us. Just stop it. You jump on stage, get your ass beat. You steal, you should get your ass beat. Just the way the world, my world works. Your world may not work that way. My world, if you're going to go into an athleta 
and you're going to put stuff under your shirt, you should get your ass beat. You go into a Walgreens, we see it every day. Get your ass beat. That's just my world. I don't know. I understand. Then you get called those ist names and you get called all kind of different things and you're a bad guy. You know, I get it. We all get it. But no. Somebody comes at you, come right back at him. It's the way I look at it. It is. That's the way I look at it. Uh, Stop acting like it's all LeBron that brought all the wokeness to the NBA. Okay. We need to stop blaming LeBron. Okay. You open the guy's thing up, he got a Lakers thing. Great. Uh, Anyway, I love the interaction with Twitter. And oh, by the way, those of you that tweet hate at me, I'm not responding to you. My wife informed me I'm letting 157 or 158,000 people who follow me on Twitter, I'm letting those people jump to the hatred of one little slap. So I'm not doing it anymore, and life is good. All right, stay with us. The world owes Allison Williams an apology. I'm not going to lie to you. It does. The world owes Allison Williams an apology. Um, Yeah, we're going to talk to Allison Williams about a bunch of stuff including the whole Roe versus Wade thing. Howard Stern wants, um, wants the court to raise every child that isn't aborted. Good for Howard Stern. Anyway, we'll get to Allison Williams. Can't wait when we come back. It's the most fun interview of the week coming up. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. It's the best interview of the week on any, any social media slash television network, whatever it is. Allison <laughs> Williams live, ladies and gentlemen, from Wyoming at the family ranch. <laughs> You're a ranch hand this week. What are you doing? I, I am. This is the, our annual trip up here every May. We have a ranch. It's um, just outside of Jackson Hole, 30 plus acres. It's got a, a large main lodge and five cabins and it is a shit ton of work. <laughs> and so we come up every May after closing down for the winter to reopen and repair and clean and get it ready. My, my husband, thankfully this year, I've wised up and I've realized I have to send Sam ahead of time. And then I use the kid card and come a little later now because when he got here, there was no water and no heat in the main lodge. And by the time I got here two days later, there was. So I have learned my lesson through the years to like send him first and, and let him deal with the big stuff. Um, so I can be a little more comfortable when I arrive, but that's only been since, since Lyle's been around. So that's the the card I play there, but it's beautiful here. It's not the best time of year. It is sunny today, but it's going to be like cold and rainy the majority of the time. And the buster asked for two weeks and then rent it out for people to enjoy. (laughs) Is that what you do? You guys rent it out? Yeah, we do. We, um, so when we got married up here in 2017, um, the family was kind of on the cusp of, of really wanting to sell it. And Sam and I were like, let us try our hand at it. And so I've been managing it since then from like a booking standpoint. And he and I kind of took it over. Um, yeah, we VRBO it and it's, it's done really well. It's been kind of cool to see it improve each year and like people, really embrace it. It's a kind of a unique property. Um, like I said, Jackson is super expensive and has become really unattainable for families and large groups, which is unfortunate because it's such a special part of the country. And I think you come here and it feels, um, feels like very Americana, very nostalgic, very like old West 
still. Um, but Jackson's become like super hoity-toity. I mean, you have all the big celebrities that have their homes here. The median home price is like highest in the country. Um, so it's become kind of unaffordable and, and unaccessible for a lot of large families. So being like 30 minutes from there, we're able to kind of manage our prices and make it a little more, a little more accessible because it is a part of the country. I think that everybody should come to and just see. And I think you have a, a different appreciation for like kind of nature and our history as Americans. When you do, you should have been out here in 2017, but you didn't come to my wedding. So that's your loss. I suck. <laughs> That's it. I think I gave people like four months notice hey. too after beating me for five years. So that's my fault. But anyway, enough about that. <laughs> it's not enough. It's not enough. Yeah. Hey, uh, I know you know, and I want to talk to you about this, the Supreme Court leakage with Roe versus Wade. Where, what, what are your thoughts on this? It's so, it, it's just troubling. Um, I, I was shocked when I saw it all come out. It's, it's, it's concerning on a lot of levels. I think distrust in general in our country is so high right now. And it seemed like the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court was the one area that was kind of immune from that and, um, and remained somewhat free from the politicalization. Obviously, whenever there's appointees and stuff, that stuff all comes out. But there was like this integrity that, um, that people still had associated with the Supreme Court and this leak, I think, shakes a lot of that. I mean, it's unprecedented. We've never seen this happen before. And I worry not only for the effect externally in our country and how, um, how this will affect things going forward for the justices, but I also worry like internally within the court and within the justices themselves, you know, how does this rattle confidence um, within each other and trust within each other and uh, the ramifications going forward? I don't even know if it matters how much, you know, how it happened, but just the sheer fact that it did is a serious cause for concern. And then obviously there's the, the ramifications of the ruling and so forth, which I don't think there's a, a, a more difficult topic to unpack that faces us in any capacity than abortion rights. I mean, it is so multifaceted and layered and it's, a, it's an emotional one. It's a difficult one. Um, I think it's a moral one. And I think there's like the moral argument, the legal argument. Um, so I think it's an incredibly polarizing and really, really, really difficult conversation and topic to tackle. So the fact that the leak happened in regards to this ruling, it seems a bit intentional, um, but I think it makes it even more detrimental to kind of the, the foundations of, of the court and the integrity of the court and the perception of it within our society. Do you think it was intentional? I mean, it obviously was intentional. You don't leak anything that you don't want leaked. Um, do you think there was a bigger plan here? Packing the court has been mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. I, I don't like to jump to conclusions, but it's hard not to hear. I mean, there, there, there has to be a reason, right? You don't do something of this magnitude without um, a plan or an intent uh, or a purpose. I mean, no leak is by accident, right? I mean, well, very rarely, unless there's like a hacking or something. Um, so it does seem intentional. It, it, it does seem like there is, you know, an agenda to be pushed by achieving this. Um, and it's, it's alarming. It's like, I, I just, it's so much bigger than anything I can kind of wrap my mind around. Um, and yeah, we'll see what like the long-term consequences and ramifications of it are, but there's going to be some and just just the response it's ignited throughout our country. I mean, you wonder 
how much that was part of it to, to potentially get out in front of it and change the, the final ruling before it comes out. Um, it's hard to know why it happened, but it's, it's easy to see how big of an impact it's having. I've asked, I have a friend who fills in as a judge, you know, a very local judge, you know, a very local level, not the Supreme Court. And I asked him, I go, well, this has obviously never happened. And his answer was, well, it just can't happen. It's just, it's just one of those things where the answer is simply, this cannot happen. This cuts to the fiber of basically our judicial system if this is what's going to happen. What do you think, and again, this is jumping to conclusions, but what do you think will ultimately be found here? Like, you think this is just some person that did this, a group? I mean, what, what, what do you think ultimately happens here? I think there, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. I, there has yeah. to be it's something a, it's a, major at play, right? Like, it, this, is, this is big. Like he said, like, this doesn't happen. This can't happen. This should never happen. So for it to... I don't know if we'll ever know the real reason or how, um, because I think it's, I think it's that big. Like, I think it's that deep and it's that big. Um, and, and, and perhaps if we found out who or why or how it could be even more explosive and detrimental, um, to really, like I said, like the, these pillars that have upheld our constitution. And I think the, the, the faith that we have in our government, um, this is like, yeah, I, I, I wonder if we ever really will know what happened, because if it is as big as it seems it would be for this to happen, um, the, the consequences would be huge. And I think alter our country permanently. Um, last thing before I get off this topic, the, the issue itself, like, you know, Roe versus Wade, I remember the day it happened. I don't know how old I was. Maybe I was 10. I think it happened in like 72 or something like that. Do you, is in your mind what was leaked um, a declaration that this court will overturn this? Or is it far, far, far more nuanced than that? It, it sounds like it. It sounds like it will return it to the state. Uh, level, which I think the estimations are like 26 states would then ban abortion in some capacity. Um, obviously, we've seen kind of what's happened in Texas and now here Oklahoma more recently. Um, so I think it would definitely change the way um, the way states handle it, and that's that's the key. But here's the thing: like, if you listen to some really smart people who are a lot smarter than me about the constitutional grounds on which it was ruled, it's pretty shaky ground. Um, it kind of hinges on this right to privacy. And so it, it's very interesting that it did pass back in the 70s and it's held this long because it, it's not on very strong footing from like an argument constitutionally wise. Uh, so, so that to me has always been interesting. Um, and I think, I think we've always kind of known that and maybe that's why like as feminists and women's rights activists, that like Roe v. Wade was never far from our minds. And any time a Supreme Court justice is appointed, they're asked about how they feel, you know, about that topic and about that case. And I think that that's the reason is like people have known for decades um, that it was on shaky ground from a legal constitutional standpoint. And, and that's what this, this draft ruling was essentially kind of saying. Um, so then it would go back to the states and that would have far reaching um, consequences for a lot of people in a lot of parts of the country. 
And, um, you know, the timing is interesting, the midterms coming up and all that. So this has always been like that one, one part of the Republican party that I feel like they, they lose a lot of voters on that they maybe 